The Kitchen is on Fire is sponsored by Drop. Drop is a wine delivery app that delivers awesome and expertly chosen wines to wherever you are in London in zones 1 and 2, and a couple other places. Same day. That means you could get your thirst on at tea time and have the wine with you by cocktail hour. You can also order extras, including ice cold beer, snacky snacks, anchovies, cheese, and a Shetland pony. <laughs> okay, we made that last one up. Download Drop from the App Store for dropwine.co.uk and enter the promo code Kitchen on Fire to get £10 off your first order. Forget the corner store, use Drop. Yes, yeah, raining. Fuck you. There's nobody hotter or younger than you, James. <laughs> there's, 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 there's these guys. We're hitting the ground running, aren't we, Sam? We got to. Got to, because we started late. Why is that? I don't know, mate. Yeah? How are you feeling? You up for today? I guess, yeah. Yeah, big podcast. Massive. What's so massive about it? Tired. Tired. Don't open saying you're tired. Well, people need to know. Do they? Yeah. Um, we had our Christmas party last night, didn't we, James? One of. One of. What did we do? Oh. Let's just get that out of the way, really, shouldn't we? We kicked off... I mean, this is the office Christmas party. So this is Christmas party with Moves, a.k.a. Will, a.k.a. Fly, and Ian, a.k.a. BB, a.k.a. Donald Campbell. And uh, we had some... A present giving ceremony. I call it a ceremony. Yeah. In the office with some beers, a little bit of uh, speed putting, and then we wandered down to the 10 cases, had a lovely bottle of sparkling wine, or as I like to call it, champagne, there. And then we strolled across Soho, quick pint in the, the Lyric, name, the Lyric yeah. pub, and then did some bowling at the Hamyard Hotel. Yeah. You're victorious. How are you feeling oh, about that? Did you yeah, wake yeah, up this morning? Yeah, no, I kind of forgot about it, but yeah, no, I, mm. I, I bowled well. Yeah. I rolled well. You rolled and bowled? Yeah. Uh, what happened after that? There's felt like Magpie, it was then shuffleboard at Tank and Paddle, then some Vermouth at Sabor, then back to Magpie, then to uh, Hawksmoor Air Street, which, uh, and then to Quo Vardis. Um, but Hawksmoor Air Street, James, leads us on wonderfully, doesn't it? As a beautiful link to today's guest. Namely, Will Beckett, co-founder, co-owner, co... Codemol. <laughs> that was a weird laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Co-Codemol of Hawksmoor. So... Great things will no doubt come out of his mouth. And uh, I, for one, am very, very interested to hear what he's got to say about running a fucking big, successful restaurant group, Sam. Yeah, that dude's not playing, is he? He's not messing around. Yeah. Also, what happened to that thing in New York that was meant to be opening ages ago? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit harsh maybe just to open with that, I'd I'm say. I'm going to open that. You've got to, go, you've got to go hard on these people, Sam. Do you reckon? Yeah, you give them an inch and they take a mile. That I don't doubt, actually. We're also going to grill him on how, why there are 17 sides at Hawksmoor Air Street and see how many of them he can name. Yeah. Um, I would like to know why Hawksmoor is uh, frequently named as one of the best employers in the country and yep. who they pay to get on that list. And... Um, Probably find out what his favourite mustard is too. Okay. What are you gonna? 
I don't know. I mean, you've covered it. All right, we'll all get right. to that. Let's what's not, what's your news, you fucking dick? <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, we got a lot of emails this week about, oh, last week's podcast, even though this is in the future, so nobody's even heard it. They're like, oh, there wasn't, there wasn't much ghost chat on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, there was. There's always. So... So I thought I'd bring a little something to the table today, which, you know, we're going to have to cover this quick. Yeah. But I'd like to tell you about the Shirime. Okay. Which I is like a, Sherry. Which is a Japanese ghost. Uh, I think I know, but go on. Oh, do you? Well, it rings a bell. Okay, well, there's a samurai warrior walking around in Kyoto. So okay. back in the day. Yeah. Uh, and it's late one night, and he's accosted by... A naked pervert. He's accosted by accosted a naked... by a naked pervert. Okay. And this is a fact. This is true. This is a true story. Yeah. That's recorded through the ages. Okay. As, so, all, as all true stories are. Yeah. So before the samurai can draw his blade to, you know, he's a samurai warrior. You turn up yeah. nude in front of a, a samurai, he's not going to stand for that sort of ballyhoo, is he? Absolutely not. So anyway, the samurai goes to take his sword out. And the pervert bends over. Right. And Who's a, the ghost? Well, it's the a, pervert or the samurai? The pervert. Samurais are real, aren't they? So it's just like ghosts. Yeah, but could real. be the ghost Everyone's of a samurai. Yeah, it's not yeah. a ghost of a samurai. It's a samurai. Okay. And a naked ghost turns up. <laughs> right. Just before he takes his sword out to strike him down, because he's like, oh, it's just this pervert. It's just bent over in front of me. Did he know it was a ghost? Well, I don't know, but he reveals that he's got a massive eyeball staring out from his ass. Ooh. True story. And that's where the story ends. <laughs> that's the entire story about the... So history doesn't relate what Shirame. happened next? No. That's sort of where it ends. And Shirame is the name of the ghost, is it? Yep. Okay, okay. So he's got an eyeball in his ass. Don't we all? Well, I don't. No. Well, I mean, there's some great ones as well. Rawhead Bloody Bones. You heard about him? Rawhead Bloody Bones? Yep. In Missouri... Yeah, there was Love's a, company. There was a talking pig, um, and somebody killed it and butchered it. A talking pig. Yeah, the pig could talk. What could it say? It was a razorback hog uh, that was called Rawhead. It's a good name for a pig. That so it walked. Well, and, I guess all our heads talked. are raw by definition, aren't they? I suppose so. Yeah. Um, but the hunter killed him, butchered him for the meat. Which, as they say in this article, was kind of a bad move. You think you'd probably make more money from a talking pig than you would from killing it and butchering it. Yeah, definitely, because yeah. after that... So it's this just is food-related as well, you know, butchery versus yeah. putting a talking pig in a freak show. How much is this chop? It's £400. Well, that's too expensive. Well, let me tell you something. The pig that it came from could talk. Not much use to me now, is it? Yeah. It's just a pork chop. But the the pig talked because a, a witch talk pork had chop. put a curse on the pig. Right. So what do they do with the witch? Well, so the witch was pissed that this hunter had killed the pig. So it was a drunk witch? She wasn't dr- No, she was annoyed. Oh, right. Uh, so she then put a curse on the remains of the pig. And okay. he sort of put himself back together and took body parts from other dead animals. So he had, then he had the fangs of a panther, the claws of a bear, and the bushy tail of a raccoon. And this is all 100% this factual? This is true, 100% <laughs> factual truth in Missouri. Wow. Just because in Missouri doesn't mean it's not real, does it? No. No. And then he said that he had the eyes. Why have you got big eyes? And he said, so he could see your grave. Oh. And he said, why have you got those claws? 
and he said to dig your grave. He said, "Why have you got that hairy beaver tail?" And he said to sweep your grave. So it's very big grave into gravies, isn't it? Yeah. Gravies. <laughs> he loves gravy. But then, so the skeleton hog thing that's sort of been cursed and brought back to life, then kills the hunter, takes his clothes and his horse, yep. and rides through the Ozark Mountains roughshod every, every Halloween. Yeah, I think roughshod. Yeah. He's got some ill-fitting man clothes on his pig yeah. skeleton body. Strikes me as, as a sort of roughshod kind of character i think it's a terrifying tale and something you need to bear in mind well i mean yet again you've told told a ridiculous ghost story that has nothing to do with food apart from the fact that well, it's pig it was pygmy yeah. and i've got another one which i'll tell next week about newton and a headless chicken in highgate okay that'll scare the fuck out of you i'd quite like to be scared by one of your stories well that's just the thing is you act this way like oh i'm not scared until you're confronted you're in the Ozarks one day walking around, you see a sort of bloody pig thing yeah. in man clothes on a horse. I'd then be you'll horrified. be like, oh my God, I really should listen to Sam. Yeah. Before he sweeps your grave with his bushy beaver tail. Sweeps it, digs it, sees it. Yeah, it does it all. Yeah. Not all with the tail, he's using his claws and whatnot. <laughs> he should be in Hamlet, that pig. Because pigs are made of ham. Yeah, he's not interested in that. And there's a grave digger in Hamlet. Is there? Yeah. What's his name? Gravedigger. See, lack of imagination from yeah. Shakespeare. Famously. Yeah. It's like people naming dishes after dishes. Lazy. Dishes after dishes. Yeah, we've had this conversation before. Yeah. What's this? It's a, it's a pot. Yeah. It's a stew pot. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anyone called Stew Pot? Yeah, my oh, brother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. I've met him, yeah. Stew Pot. Stew Pot. Um, what else has been going on, James? Uh, back on the grog. Back on the That's booze, nice. yeah. Enjoying it? Loving it. Yeah. Enjoying, uh... Did you... Were you particular... Oh, hello. I've got oh, my God. Just Every time. <laughs> um, Will, thank you for joining us. It's very sweet of you to, to give us your time. Um, before you is a bottle of uh, 1999 Chateau Pegasus uh, Zinamavro from Greece. It's an absolutely amazing wine from our friends at Drop, with whom we share the office, and it's a present from them to you. Delicious. They Thank also sponsor the podcast, we should say. Um, and How exciting. It'd be very good with a Hawksmoor steak. I mean, I... I never eat steak, but I will try and make an exception. <laughs> do, you, do you ever do you, do you have a tire of steak? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't joking. I oh, almost oh, never eat steak. Do you not? Yeah. Did you eat steak? Yeah, there was a period where, like, I mean, when we opened Hawksmoor, it was like, yeah. oh, 600 grams of blah, meat. Blah. And then, you know, kind of put like, right, okay, everywhere I go, I'm going to try everybody's steak just to see whose steak's good and what steak restaurants are good. And, well, I'll probably stop eating in the other places now. I kind of established I like what we do. Yeah. I don't. We also we don't change it now. And then I'm like, oh, I'm getting quite old. I'm getting quite old. Can't You've really. eaten enough cow. So I just I I eat meat infrequently, and when I eat it, I eat good meat. But yeah, I, I rarely think oh, you know, I, could, I, could, I could really go a steak. Right. So what's your go-to on a Friday night? We're not recording. Like, this is the worst. Oh, you know, we are recording. Oh, we are. This is like oh, the worst. That's, that's how this is the one. worst. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, yeah. I eat steak all yeah. the time. Nothing. Uh, I have nothing else in my diet. Um, like Jordan Peterson. Was um, all the crap that I was talking on the whole thing? 
that was all. Yeah, but, I can but it can be cut. cut. It's Anything not live. It's impressive, yeah. right? This is what Sam does. It just—it yeah. <laughs> uh, just, always tends to be better than going right now. Recording, so then everyone gets a bit. <laughs> and also, the cognac thing was—I didn't know what early landed meant. So okay. that's. Uh, but you were way off mic anyway, so I might not be able to use it. So yeah. Okay. Fine. fine. Um, that's all. Well, thank you very much. I'll probably take it to. Uh, probably take it to um, Peckham Bazaar. You've is that been, where you're off to tonight? Yeah. No, but it's like it's it's near where I live. I've still not been. It's, it's one of my two local restaurants right. that I just love more yeah. than any other. What's the other one? Uh, Forza Win. Oh right. Uh, but John is Albanian, and his whole restaurant thing is kind of Balkan coast yeah. kind of foods. And this is the kind of thing that you want to have with someone who will appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. So presumably you live you live down that way then. <laughs> yeah. You don't, Forest, you don't in Forest Hill. Okay. Glamorous Forest Hill. Is that where it all happens? It's where it's all happening. It's, uh, yeah, no, actually, funny enough, it actually, there is, there's, there's loads and loads of really good stuff now in Peckham and East Dulwich. Mm. Levan looks great, that's just opened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you, you made the, it there yet? I haven't, nope, I saw the review of that from someone the other day. Uh, looks really good. Yeah, there's loads of good stuff down there. I kind of have, with, with restaurants, I have like two levels of good restaurant experience. One of them is, if this was near my house or a place I worked at, I, mean, I don't work in the same place regularly, but if it was near mm. my place of work or my house, I would be really pleased. Uh, and there are lots and lots and lots of restaurants like that in London. And then there's another level, which is, I've got three kids. I'm glad that I got a babysitter for the night, went out uh, or didn't come home, didn't put them to bed, stayed up late, got a cab back, and probably had to spend 250 quid on the whole experience. Yeah. And that was like my every now and then date with my, you know, with my wife. I'm really glad we did that. Not a lot of restaurants hit that. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I particularly love stuff that's near me. Of course. Because you just go to like, oh, this is a nice restaurant. But you have to do all of that other stuff. It's just, it's not enough for me anymore. I just, yeah, I mean, I the just, baby's head counts as another bottle of wine, basically. It's ridiculous, yeah. Cost-wise. So I'd just go to Peckham Bazaar or yeah. Forza Wynn or one of the very nice restaurants in So were you always interested in restaurants with it? You know, how did this all begin? No, I think I think it's probably fairer to say that my mum was always interested in restaurants. Could you? Who's your mum? My mum is the Guardian wine critic, and also a food blogger. Yeah, uh, Fiona, Fiona Beckett. I, owe, I I mean, I genuinely owe a huge amount to your mother. Yeah, well, we she, we first met in her flat. Yeah, we had Arga toast. We had Arga toast. I was oh, you saying said that to you earlier. that we met over toast back in the days. And she really got me sort of kicked off in this life that I now live because um, she is an enthusiast. Yeah, she's and just a great woman. She loves food and drink and people and restaurants. So I grew up in a house where there was like an endless supply of wine. My stepdad was an incredible cook. My mum's a very, very good cook, but he was even better. So it was all... The basic level of food and drink in my, our house was amazing. Which, in the end, kind of meant I sort of took food and drink for granted a little bit. Like, I just thought that was how people yeah. ate. And then, you know, you go out to a friend's house and they'd have spaghetti hoops yeah. on toast. Like, all right, that's not, that's not how it happens in, 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 our, in our family. And she would take me to restaurants, so I remember... You were having spaghetti hoops on sourdough 
Bear in mind, this was the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Sourdough was not a thing there. It was probably it was probably some kind of panini. That was that was yeah, what yeah. was really popular. Yeah, spaghetti heaps were handmade. Uh, yeah, 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 like, exactly. Yeah, ringed orecchetti. But no, she used to have a thing. She'd be like, right, you and me will go to restaurants together. I'll take you to places. But Where did you grow up? Sorry, to St Albans. Right. My only condition is you have to try something. Every time we go to a restaurant, you have to try something that you've never t- tried before. I mean, like, I went to... I'll have the 85 Pomerol, please, Mark. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I've not tried unfortunately that it wasn't work your way to the bottom of the wine list. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I remember eating brains in B- Bruno Lube's Bistro in Soho, I think it was. I mean, I went to uh, Riverside Inn with her and, you know, uh, got a tour of the kitchen. Right. Um, from Michel Roux Senior. Uh, so it was, yeah, when I, when I grew up, that was just what you did. And it wasn't because we had lots of money, which was kind of, the, you know, back mm. in the 90s, you went to restaurants, you had a lot of yeah. money. Uh, she was just was a freeloader. Just because, it's just because she and you could loved restaurants. Yeah. And yeah, it was kind of work for her, but also passion and that she just blurred it. Um, and I kind of went off and did my own thing, but just kind of got dr- drawn back into it. And in the same way for me, I, I, I love restaurants, although in a bit of a different way to how my mum loved restaurants. But the blur between life and work is, I think, really, really mm. lovely most and, of the time. And so what did you do before you started in restaurants? Uh, I taught English as a foreign language for a bit. Uh, I was a perennial student, um, which was the best way I knew of not working. Yeah. I sold advertising for a while. Sold Incredibly un- Yeah, like cold calling okay, right, CEOs of companies to see if they wanted to take a Quarter page yeah. in a publication that we had completely invented for the purpose of selling advertising. Not we, the company, yeah, yeah, sure. but, you know, for the purpose of selling advertising. Um, I got a very funny one the other day, by the way. I haven't told you about this. Um, National Geographic food and photography supplement thing. Yep. And they said, Pigeon's been selected by, you know, very exciting, congratulations, you've been selected, we want to run a feature on you. It's, uh, um, and if you'd like to call to discuss this, and I was like, that's a f- strange phrasing, call to discuss yeah. this, um, please do. And da, da, da. So they said, yeah, it's fantastic, I mean, we love what you do and we've selected you. And so, I mean, usually the rate is 7,500 for a page. Ooh. But for you. But for you guys, it's only 2,000. I was like, so not, not really selected to be featured. That is the we? classic one. That is the classic one you call up. But they did. So, so I have some very good news. Yeah, <laughs> I get it now. Tele- you know, Telegraph business section. What we would really like to feature Hawksmoor. Yeah, it's quite flattering, isn't it? Because you're a major national newspaper. Yeah, and, you know, and it's a business section. You know, it's, it's not just it's not me and my business section. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, and then they explain to you how much you could pay them to create the video content that you have been selected for. Oh, and I. Don't like it anymore. Yeah, yeah, okay, not no. quite, not quite the big win you thought it once was. Especially when you knew, you know, where it came from. We the, the magazines didn't exist. There was no like interested readership. You would create a magazine, try and fill it with advertising. If you filled it with advertising, you would like send it to a database of people who hadn't asked for it, and then the next round of calls would be like, well, we've got a readership of <laughs> thirty-five thousand people because we sent out circulation. You've got circulation, circulation of thirty-five thousand people. Uh, you will also find that, you know, Magpie and Hawksmoor yeah, yeah. are advertising. Would you, Peckham Bazaar, also like to yeah. advertise in our fantastic restaurant brochure with 35 of the best? It's a racket. Read it. It's a total racket. 
I wasn't very good at it. I mean, so it makes sense going from that into restaurants, really. I mean, well, just... so that I, I did that job, and I thought, oh, I don't like working. Yeah. That's what I thought. We've all made that's, that what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought the truth was. And that's like, oh, this job is sh- what it should have been is this job is shit. I I just need to find something that I actually love. And actually, it was just ah, oh, work. I thought work is shit. I just need to find a way to spend the rest of my life dossing around. Yeah. Um, and yeah. tried that doing that with being a student. Like I did an MA, modern European history. Ooh, um, the best kind. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a PhD. That's what I'm gonna do because. That sounds like an extra three years dossing. And when I was at university... The Did you also like the idea of being an academic? Yeah, yeah, totally. Dilettante intellectual would be yeah. my dream job, except I'm not clever enough. Did you ever rock a corduroy blazer? Patches? Patches. Uh, I leather, think elbow. I think I did, yeah, yeah. I think I've probably got that and in my you locker. Earn, you, you earn it by doing that. That is how it works. By doing PhD, yeah, you earn yeah, the yeah. right to wear that get-up. Yeah, if you're, in, if you're in the army, you earn your stripes. Yeah. And you get a different kind of corduroy stripe. Yeah. yeah. If you're in and academia, different grades of leather on yep. the elbows, depending yep. on where you're at in your PhD. So that's who I wanted to be. Yeah. And I thought, I'll, okay, I'll do that. I'll get. Because become... if you wore that now, sort of turning up at one of the restaurants, people would sort of be like, you know, that's a, that's a He's strange look for a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, I can't do that. I, no. I, they they wouldn't allow that no. in Hawksmoor. <laughs> so where did you go? How, how did you get from academia to uh, restaurateuring? What well, we got this PhD thing, and I thought. Suddenly, the stupidest person in the room, and I don't, I don't. That can't be a good start if I'm the stupidest mm. person in the room of everyone who wants to do a PhD. And at the same time, my best mate Hugh, who I grew up with, uh, we like lived two roads apart from the age of about eleven, had concocted one of his like cockamamie schemes of opening a bar, but had managed to take this ridiculous scheme, which must have been like the hundredth hilarious scheme, right? To the stage of, oh, you've actually got, like, bricks and mortar and someone has given you some, has lent you some money to do it. He's like, why don't you come and do that with us? And so I did. Uh, and what was that? It's called the Red Church. Right. Because it was on Red Church Street. Good. Very good, that. How'd you come? I, was, yeah. I was pretty pleased with that. It was yeah. early signs of <laughs> marketing genius. Um, People are going to find it. Yeah. And they didn't. They didn't find it. No, that's not true. They did. They, they did. It was funny. It was like a... So was he, sorry, was he uh, sort of well-known? Did he have form in terms of coming up with ridiculous schemes that... Well, we called one of, we called one of our companies in the early days of like, hey, let's do this stupid idea. We called it Third Drink Limited. Because I remember the year before we went to university, so we finished school in 1995. So let's say this was 1994. He, we're, in, we're in the Jolly Sailor in St Albans, which was our local, because... They serve people who are <laughs> underage. And he's like, you know, you've got, like, beer. Yeah. I've heard of that. And, and you've got, like, cider. <laughs> yeah. What if we invented, like, a third drink? <laughs> because that's it, right? It's beer. So we need a third drink. That's what we're going to do. I th- we probably told him to fuck off. And then... Went to university. So this before wine was invented, was it? No, I think wine may have predated it by yeah. a year or two. I'm not sure, but we went. It to hadn't university. made it St Albans yet. So by the way, in, when, you, when we were 17, even with you know cases of wine in the house, 
was not you didn't get girls yeah. by like rocking up with you know a bottle of 99 Pegasus yeah. Yeah. that's not that's not how it happened yeah. you got girls by drinking a lot of K-cider yeah. on a park bench well, K- that was your K-cider thing. was classy brewer and that dude it came in a black matte bottle yeah that was don't knock K-cider that was high end no, that I'm was, into it that was branding wizardry so we turned up at university and uh, it just happened as uh, two dogs alcoholic lemonade oh, yeah, I remember came that. out and then it hooch just, and stuff hooch was yeah. the next one yeah and then Alco Pops just went crazy. Huge, yeah. And I had to say to Hugh, this is... He did have his finger Mate, on the third pulse. drink was, funnily enough, an absolute Alcopops. masterpiece of an idea, and we laughed at you. And that was huge for huge. a period of time, wasn't it? Huge. I mean, and then I guess it was... They all get cracked down on my stuff. Fa- my favourite bit of the third drink story was... Because I was doing this Masters in, in, in Modern History, I still, like I still read the occasional history book, and... Uh, I was reading something about the Third Reich or something fun, fun like that. And it said in his early years, Hitler had like a load of, you know, wacky entrepreneurial ideas, including the idea to invent a new drink. And I was just like, this is fucking brilliant. Hugh. So basically you're, you're, what you're saying is your business partner is very similar to... Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of letting you... <laughs> I'm letting you draw your own conclusions yeah, as to how you want that to go. But um, yeah, Third Drink, that was good. I don't know what that was a tangent from, but there was a question um, just there somewhere. Just huge madcap mad schemes that... Um, yeah, yeah, he was going to do, he was gonna yeah. do a chain of sandwich restaurants, but specifically in train stations. That was another one of his Great ideas. Niche. By the way, yeah. also... Cornish pasty company, they did Also now, absolutely amazing. I mean, you can't yeah. go to a train station without seeing 20 sandwich shops, but in 1993, you'll never See, why doesn't my business partner come up with good ideas? Oh yeah, let's do another restaurant named after a bird. That would be brilliant. Grade of <laughs> vulture, yeah. amazing. Yeah, getting a bit too um, albatrossy. Um, anyway, so Red Church Bar, mm-hmm. presumably then round the corner because Green and Red was your first proper restaurant. Or is, am I yeah, I mean proper might be overstating. Okay. Yeah, but it was uh, great. I loved that place. Yeah, yeah. No? Green and Red was like so the, the place across the road. Um, went bust it was this French brasserie uh, went bust and we went to see the landlord the next day we told him we were extremely successful <laughs> local entrepreneurs food and drink business because we sold sandwiches in the bar at lunchtime only <clears throat> and I think theoretically sold them in, in the evening because that was what the licence said you know that kind of right. Not that I'm sure neither of you have done yeah, that sort of thing absolutely but that's not it's not common at all. We'll now. pretend that they're having a no, there's no pretense. meal. There's no pretense. We've definitely yeah. never built like a Potemkin village kind of bar of complete sham just to get a license. It's always a funny um, one that though that says like, oh, it has to be taken with a su- alcohol. It has to be taken with a substantial meal. So like, right, define substantial. You know, we we had the idea. Of course, we insist at all of our places that they have a substantial meal as we define it. Yeah. But we were like, all right, give them some bread and nuts and, and see if the council want to have an argument as to whether a nut sandwich is a substantial they, meal or not. Yeah. They do. They do want that argument. Do they? Yeah. Like that I don't think you're the first person to <laughs> why don't you try and define substantial? <laughs> like, yeah, we've heard that one, Sunshine. Have a nut sandwich and then yeah. we'll talk. Uh, so you so, approach so Green and Red have said to the landlord, you know, wildly successful, we should definitely take your restaurant over. Inexplicably, he agreed. I think because it was just the easiest thing to do. Like, he'd shut it one day, and the next morning, there's a, we'll take it. Uh, 
So we decided to open a Mexican bar and restaurant called Green the Red because it was on Bethnal Green Road and Red Church, and Red Church Street. That's amazing. This is never layers of marketing yeah, and also good. the colours of the Mexican, Mexican flag. flag. I mean... I never got that. Right? Genius. I thought it was because two types of salsa, but... And we also so had both... We had green and red salsa. Stan it. Genius. I mean, if I could mic drop now without <laughs> creating some kind of podcast noise, yeah. I'd, I'd do it. Uh, so we had like this... That's such 55? Mex- Mexican restaurant upstairs. It a, but it's a really cool location, yeah, it was, that. It's it was cool. That, no, but I mean, it ticks every box. And we had like a 3,000 square foot bar yeah. downstairs, which only sold tequila and like covered in kind of skull graffiti and yeah. stuff. Tequila Verdita. Yeah. Central yeah. combo. And uh, we won like, you know, even standard bar of the year, we won all these awards in the industry and we had like a superstar bar team and we never, we never made any money there at all. Why was that such a big... Not busy. Uh, the restaurant was too small. Right. To, there has to be like a certain ratio of number of people that you hire to number of yeah. chairs that you have, and we were not aware of that by the time we'd already well committed. And bars, through massive three thousand square foot bars with DJs and tequila, don't really work on like a yeah. Monday evening. No. Um, the kind of the kind of a two bites of the cherry sort of deal, and this was and this was just when sort of Shoreditch was starting to kick off. It was, what were we ten years ago now? No, two thousand two thousand five. You were much longer right. than ten years ago. Right. I think I think Shoreditch had kicked off by then. Yeah. Um, it was cool. It was cool. It wasn't yeah. mainstream. Yeah, um, but and, it was cool. And how did um, how did you and Hugh? split your sort of skill sets or whatever what was the how did you lay that out Hugh used to say that he did anything that was interesting and I did anything that was boring sounds (laughs) unbelievably similar (laughs) Uh, and I would have said I would have said you do the important shit and he just fannies around no there's no way there's no way I'd put it like that I would have said more like you know he does the he does the stuff that customers tend to see, and I do the stuff that customers tend not to see. So I was like really people was always the bit that I really liked. I said when I said to you earlier like I really like restaurants, but maybe not quite in the way that my mum likes restaurants. Someone said to me if you're a restaurateur, you're either like a food and like a product person or you're a people person. Interesting. Um, and almost anyone you meet who owns a restaurant is one of those two things. Very rarely both, and almost never neither. Uh, and Hugh is a product person, and I am a people person. Yeah. And when you say people, you mean the staff? Yeah. Yeah. Not, not dealing with customers? I mean, m- my guess is, if I was in service, and slight, for, for slightly weird reasons, I've, n- I've never really been in service. Uh, slightly weird reasons being? Well, we had a bar, so I was, I was in service in the bar, behind the bar, okay. and, you know... Clean the toilets and whatever it was. So did everything. It's a weird everything. thing to do behind a bar, but go on. <laughs> no, but I mean, we did everything. And that. we were general managers and we cleaned the toilets and we cocktail bartenders and counted the money and we had the cellarman and anything. But when, by the time we had a restaurant, we had a business as well. So I really kind of had to ru- work yeah. out how to run the business. And we opened Green and Red. We had, the, we had the Red Church on its own for two years. And then we opened Green and Red, the Marquis Tavern and Hawksmoor in nine months crumbs so I really I mean that was by the way the worst idea ever how did, I, that, how did that happen though how does it happen that quick 
You know, if you have a you have green and red, which you said you know isn't isn't you know printing cash. Well, you don't. You know, there's no time to tell whether you're successful or not if you open three sure, things yeah. in nine months, right? Just like do do stuff, just shoot from the hip, and I think really just because it's quite amazing how stupid you can be when you're <laughs> when you're young and naturally optimistic, which I am. Just like yeah, it'd be fine. We'll just work it out. Also, when you have an idea that you're excited about, you, you can't fathom that not every single other person on the planet isn't going to be excited by it. So you just think, well, of course this is going to be yeah. a success. Also, also, you know what restaurateurs are like? Someone says to you, here's an opportunity. Yeah. You could do that. Mm. Like, oh, shit. What? Yeah. Of course I bloody could. And you learn later, yeah. like, oh, the best thing you can learn is assume the answer is no to everything and just be super selective about the stuff that you take on takes quite a long time yeah. to learn that you usually have to do it wrong first at the cost of hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah you can't just someone go up to you and goes i wouldn't do that if i were you like <laughs> that guy with all the experience knows nothing <laughs> yeah let me tell you it'll be different for me i'm just gonna nail this so what was, we the, were Marquist, that guy for what was the marquis tavern i think that passed me by we met a guy from a brewery young's yeah uh, I think actually now he's a CEO of Young's, a guy called Patrick Dardis. Uh, this industry do. He told us he was looking for like young entrepreneurial people to take over Young's tenanted pubs. So we lied again, told him we're extremely, we're we're extremely successful. Yeah. Food and drink empire over yeah. there in Shoreditch. <laughs> Wonderfully versatile. Yeah, take on a pub. We've always, always wanted to do a pub. Since we told him about you know, the genius of Green and Red name and why it was... Well, that, I mean, the Marquis Tavern was on the Marquis Estate. Very good. So, you and know, it was there was like, and so it was a tavern. Yeah, perfect. So it was already, yeah. I mean, we didn't name it, but it was right up our alley with, <laughs> with naming. Um, so we're like, yeah, great, we'll do that. And we took this, we took this pub on in Canterbury. Uh, it's near the Draper's Arms. Yeah. So Wait, was it on, where is it exactly? It's on Canterbury Street. Yeah. But. Um, and, uh, yeah, we... we <laughs> Uh, I, I'm only laughing because I've made this joke to other people before but if people are doing their first restaurant I sometimes say right the co- well the correct order of things traditionally is please tell us this you, we do <laughs> okay well this is okay so this is an important lesson yeah. then you do some research first and you make a decision second yeah and we changed reversed the traditional order of things we made our decision first signed our contract because yeah, you're edgy you're and then rules. and then we did some research and for us in 2005 still maybe too early 2006 research meant we typed the name marquis tavern into google uh, and the first return in like the islington gazette or something was the pub from hell <laughs> and it was a story of how the previous landlord had been hospitalized by his own customers <laughs> Like, oh, cracky shit. Uh, but you know, we did like a classic kind of, you know, what is now kind of classic British gastro pub, you know, regularly changing yeah. uh, menu, very chef led, very seasonal. Um, we won like Time Out Gastro Pub of the Year, we won Best Sunday Lunch of the Observer Food Monthly. We, yeah, we, we, we got actually, we didn't get exclusively good, we got slated. By Faye Mashler. Wasn't it the A to Z of the getting things wrong? The A to Z of getting it wrong was the title. It was the top story in the Evening Standard Online for about three... Higher than whatever it was the Beckham family had done that day. That was number two. The A to Z of getting it wrong was number one. Um, anyway, that, that pub was... 
and in did, all sorts uh, of ways. Did she go through A to Z, or was it more of a sort of metaphorical A to Z? No, it was more metaphorical. I th- she came in on a Sunday night. <coughs> lots of things we'd run out of, but I think predominantly, I would say that the issue that more than half the staff there had alcohol or substance abuse issues right. that they were effectively or not covering up. Right, but didn't on that evening was probably the main oh, the main driver so of it not a, being good. Quite a car crash. So she was pissed that they didn't offer her any coke. Yeah, and I don't. Or does was, she, does she listen to the podcast? Um, I would say that's unlikely. Okay, then yeah. Then I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, then I'm certain that was it. Um, that's the pull quote for the episode. Although, I'm although I'm, I'm also certain that that wasn't it. In case, you know, course, in case yeah. any of her lawyers allegedly. are listening or yeah, anything along that line. Uh, yeah, I mean, last week you're accusing Mary Berry of being on crack. I just I hear things, you know, and I think it's you need to yeah, share you hear these things, things with. <laughs> um, and then obviously, I mean, eventually you get round to opening this little steak place in Spitalfields that goes all right. And you're really tracking now. You're just hanging on in, hanging on in there. Yeah. So it's the same year, 2006, we opened. We get, we bought this Turkish restaurant on Commercial Street. Again, reversing the traditional order of things. Traditional order is you sort your funding out, make sure you have the money to open the restaurant, then you sign the property lease and stuff. Well, I don't know. We did it the other way around, and then turns out we didn't have any funding or access to funding at all. About like a week or two from going bust everywhere. Hugh's parents remortgaged their home to make uh, to stop us kind of going bust. My stepdad uh, lent me his life savings of twenty thousand pounds. And uh, we we got the restaurant open with that. How much did you get the f- first Hawksmore open for then? Probably a fifty grand premium, and then a hundred thousand pounds. Right. Plus, no idea what we were doing. You know yeah. that just let's yeah. just put some stuff in it and just keep as much as we possibly can. Gosh. I mean, I could show you pictures, but it's not much fun on a podcast to show you <laughs> pictures of what Hawksmore looked like when we first opened it but it's you could hilarious. send them and put them on the Instagram I could do yeah. that I could do that I but could send what? you a lovely picture of Hugh standing in the private dining room make me so happy if that went on your Instagram that we can do, we'll do um, and, and why a steakhouse I'm assuming you did your research you were like this is what this street is crying why are you for? assuming that he just said they don't do the research except yeah. for a bit of Google let's say that yeah. what happened is we did extensive research yeah. and we saw an obvious gap in the market yeah. for a steak restaurant that was branded in a very specific way. We knew for a fact that something that was like high end but really casual, which did not exist at all in London in 2006, we knew that was just yeah. about to go of course. crazy. Yeah. It was obvious. That, I mean, it was obvious yeah. to everyone. And we just cornered the market quickly. Mm. And that was that was it, really, using the business acumen that I'd developed with my French and Russian degree. Nice. Um, or, or you could say that the Turkish restaurant had a grill in it. Nice. And we didn't have any money. So you thought, let's use honest, that grill and cook some steaks. It's somewhere between the two things. We, it wasn't just like, shit, there's a grill, and that's, we can't afford to buy a, a plancher. Um, although, th- although, by the way... Why would someone invent a Josper? <laughs> yeah. Although that was true. That was probably one of Hugh's early early ideas. Like, let's get a let's get a charcoal grill, but that kind of does it from both sides. That would be a, shut up, Hugh. No one's ever going to do that. Ridiculous. Oh, Josper. 
Um, Another niche you failed to corner. Can't believe it. No, but but we we did kind of say it's weird, isn't it? This is two thousand six, so uh, you, if you wanted to have a stake in London, you could go to like a kind of classic old school American style steak restaurant and have American style beef and be surrounded by exclusively men in their late fifties. You could go to, I think you could go to like a couple of like cheap and cheerful like Australian kind of steakhouses, or you could go to Gaucho and mm. you could get the kind of, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully, the kind of slightly glitzy yeah, yeah. Argentinian experience. Little kitsch. And it, we did say, it's a bit weird, isn't it, that in a country that kind of invented beef and where all the breeds of cattle originated that was so well known for its beef that that's actually our nickname in parts of the world, Leo's Beef or whatever, you cannot have a British steak in Britain. So that that felt a little bit like a kind of gap in the market moment because that's what, you know, we grew up, Hugh's parents were also really good cooks. We live really close. So we grew up with very good cooks who cared about, like, buying decent ingredients, making amazing beef, you know, like kind of rose-tinted nostalgia, mm. like make-you-weep kind of, yeah. oh, that's what a steak used to be like. And then we, eat this, we ate this you know, variety of steaks. We tried it from all over the place. And like The British stuff was, oh, that's straight away I'm back at being like 11 and this mm. is the week's special treat steak. So must be other people in England who remember that happening yeah. didn't taste like the American stuff or the Argentinian stuff and did you have I know, I know you didn't do any research or maybe not much but had you been to because Hawksmoor's very British obviously and very sort of in its DNA it feels very British in a way but obviously there's the grand steakhouses of New York you know Peter Luger or the Palm or whatever these places you know it's more of feels like more of an American thing a lot yeah. of had you had you ever been to any of those places yeah not Intentionally, for sure, yeah. So I mean, you we, went to them by accident. Well, no, we're, we're both we're both people that like eating, and we like restaurants, and we like travelling. So we had travelled, and we'd been to the states, yeah. and we'd been to restaurants, and been to state restaurants because yeah. you went to New York, whatever it is, fifteen, twenty years ago. You know, there weren't wasn't like oh, shit, there's a thousand restaurants, yeah. and I can't decide which to choose. It's like, well, yeah. you have to go to. Lugers and Balthazar and you know yeah, all this kind of stuff sure. so you went to a state restaurant so we'd done that we'd been to Japan we'd have Wagyu and you know we'd done a lot of that kind of stuff but I don't know I think steak's one of those things like you have it quite close to your mm. heart if you go to see the you know, French when they talk about the kind of steak freak they used to have it's the same Americans have it really close to their heart it's quite a, a For sure. emotive thing and so when you opened Hawksmoor One, what, what, I appreciate this is a boring question that you'll have been asked a hundred times, but um, what was the battle plan then? Probably the... There was, there was definitely... There was like a long stage of our lives where there was no plan and we, we did work. I mean, 
I'm kind of I'm joking a bit with like we didn't do any of that, didn't do any of that. Mm. Like it makes it sound like shit just happened. We did work like unbelievably hard. You know, we did like ninety hours a week. We thought about things a huge amount, but we were just shooting in the dark for so much of it. You know, you'd put a load of work in. Whereas maybe now I'd say to someone in the same position, you're putting 30 hours a week into that, you should put one hour a week into that and put 30 hours a week into the thing that you're not even thinking about at all. So I think we just kind of did slightly the wrong things. and But we didn't really have a plan beyond, can we open a really, really good thing that we feel proud of? That was about it. And then <clears throat> fairly quickly after it opened, and it was not like shoot the lights out successful but it was successful where the other three weren't you know staff mm. stayed it, it gently made money it kind of made about what the other three lost between them uh, but for three years it was really just we have got to work out what the fuck we're doing mm. because we've done this kind of shoot from the hip open stuff and kind of bit of affinity for product and customers but we have got absolutely no idea how to run a business and I don't know anything we're just making it all up mm. as we go along we can't carry on like that I just remember calling anybody I knew who had more restaurants than us and just saying can I buy you lunch pick any of our restaurants I'll buy you lunch open a nice bottle of wine but I just want to ask you questions for two hours and is that how you went from shooting in the dark to figuring things out slowly yeah and just read like voraciously read about what did you read Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know, like Jim Sullivan, you know, kind of like big uh, Jim Sullivan. Was, maybe it's Jim Sullivan. You know, big American kind of books on business. Mm. Danny Meyer setting the table was like yeah. the Bible. That is the Bible, though, uh, still. But anyway, you know, like loads and loads of stuff. Didn't have to, have to be industry based, although we, you know, read a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, just anything on how do you run a business? But I always liked. I was more attracted to the less tangible stuff. So I really liked stuff about culture or brand hmm. or that sort of thing and was not as interested in, like, process. Yeah. Um, so the more abstract sort of um, philosophical stuff as opposed to here's how you get great service in a restaurant or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I'm... Yeah. You know, I, we've, we've done well reasonably well as as restaurateurs but i you will not find a restaurateur in london who knows less about how to actually make a restaurant work than me i don't know i think you're talking to, uh, yeah. to although yeah, although think, cheers by yeah. the way you may well may well be in no, that right. park because we were talking you know obviously you have you know we share the office with these guys who run you know the 10 cases and parsons yep. and drop and we were out on our christmas party last night so we were talking about it was just something about, I think I said, oh, what's the biggest argument you guys have ever had, you know, as you're in business together and your friends, you know, they're best friends, James and I are best friends, I'm sure you're best friends with you, or, as well as being business partners. And that sort of separation of what people do and also what people are interested in, you know, that is really interesting to me because you're running this thing that is a thing, a restaurant, you know, so your restaurant sells steak to however many people it does a day, you know, Pigeon, our restaurant serves this many people and it does this every day. But how you, between two people, come up with the 
you know, the movement, the sort of angle, the process to get that to happen. I think it's really interesting when you're splitting it between two people. Mm. And the thing that you said about being interested in the abstract, in the culture thing, in, in the more sort of slightly amorphous things, even though obviously you said you do a lot of the backer house stuff. That's something I'm super interested in as well. You know, yep. and obviously Hawksmoor as a company is very celebrated for, you know, your staff and the way you treat your staff and all the rest of it. And that's something that, you know, we're a tiny, tiny company now. And I'm assuming that you probably weren't thinking about company culture when you had one Hawksmoor or maybe you were, I don't know. But I think that's interesting because it always feels too early to think about those things. But then in my head, I'm like, but if we do get to that next level, you know, open another restaurant or whatever it is, then it kind of feels like if you've had those thought processes early, it's kind of wise, even though it feels a bit weird to do it this early. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I would say that one of our kind of advantages is we thought about that stuff relatively early and before we opened Seven Dials, which was our second restaurant. So for what was at the time, 2009-ish, effectively one restaurant, I know we kind of had, we might have had three by then, but we were in the process of getting rid of the other three. But so effectively one restaurant what was an unusual piece of work, which was, let's just really think about what it is that we're doing here, or the kind of the ways that we phrased it was, we've had, we've had three businesses that demonstrably were failures financially, and I think staff-wise, and we've got one that isn't, almost by accident. And we've seen in our own business and in other people's businesses how making things bigger has spoiled some or diluted some of the great things about the business that you loved in the first place. Well, like, okay, we've got, what we've got to do is we've got to really, really pin down what makes this one business special. And once we've done that, we're going to work out how to grow it without ever compromising those things. So those things have to be like baked into whatever it is that we do. And that was, it was kind of partly brand and partly culture which I guess are kind of two sides of the same coin whether you're looking at it from a kind of staff or a customer point of view but we did that we didn't like have a branding company or anything we just did that ourselves in 2009 and when we designed Seven Dials and we employed 70 people they started with okay this is what this is what Hawksmoor is all about this is how we are as people this is what we're like as a restaurant this is what we're setting out to do here I think we've been good at that so even just open a restaurant in Edinburgh, I would say really that the first six months, you know, two before opening and four after opening are really not much more than just trying and trying and trying to make it genuinely Hawksmoor, in particular for the people that work there. Yeah. Um, Did you have any sort of mottos or aphorisms that you would try and quietly drill into the yeah. psyche of your staff? Yeah, we, yeah, we do. Can you I'd... share those or is it... <laughs> Yeah, I, oh yeah. I, I I only hesitate because this sounds cheesy and corporate. Because it sounds cheesy and corporate. We've all been to that company, right? We're like, here's the stuff that we believe in. I'll show you, you mine. Think, if you show me it's, yours. It's yeah. not. That's but, not. That's not our motto. <laughs> <laughs> that's our hashtag Me Too yeah. motto. It's yeah. worked really, really well yeah, for really us had so to far. Change things over the last few months because this backfired massively. Um, but you know, you if in the, if you came to a Hawksmoor induction even with like new staff 20 new staff this the first hour is me and I talk about this kind of stuff even with the people who've just started you talk about 
these things and people are like shit yeah I really I really believe in that and you talk to people who've been there for five years and there are a lot who've been there for five years they wouldn't have it if anyone said anything negative about these things they're like no 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 that is like if you don't heart that, and soul yeah. of who we are if you so don't get it leave what are, what are those things you don't have to give this specific no I, I don't mind giving you so the first one uh, is work hard and be nice to people uh, so I have a poster on the wall in my house uh, which is which just says work hard and be nice to people and I bought it before 2009 and I think I just thought that felt a little bit like the only two advantages that me and Hugh had in business like we worked hard and we were quite nice and that was about it Pretty good start. It was a reasonable start. But I looked at the people at Hawksmoor and thought, oh, the magic of Hawksmoor, or one of the things that's magic about Hawksmoor is people do those two things at the same time. And that's not necessarily standard. Almost anyone can work hard. Almost anyone can be nice. But quite often, including in our industry regularly, people drop being nice to cope with work hard. Yeah. They just become a, they become dicks a little bit. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, totally. You see it, right? You kind of go, right. you go, you go to like some of the big restaurants, and they're just like rules and this, and you, oh, boss is a bit of a wanker. That wasn't like that at Hawksmoor at all. Everyone was so nice, not just customers, which all front of house staff can do, right? <laughs> when they go in the kitchen and mean, and then they come out and they're like, oh, so yeah. lovely, so charming to that customer. Hawksmoor people did it to everyone in the building, including the staff. So that felt like a big thing. One was quality, just if we're going to do something. Just do the best version of that thing you can. If you're going to be a waiter, just be a great waiter. If you're going to do, put a hamburger on the menu, make it amazing. If we're going to build a restaurant, yeah. just try and build like the most beautiful restaurant we can build. Because if you're not doing that, if you're not trying to open the best steak restaurant in London without ever, ever wanting to go out and say that, but if, you, if that's not our goal, why are we bothering? Like, well, That was a big thing, just trying to do things best quality we can. Development was another one, which was just... This fear, I suppose, particularly later on, became how we articulated that people at Hawksmoor would kind of feel like, this is good enough, yeah. this is okay. We've won awards and we've got whatever it was, it's like five, six restaurants, this is great, done. Well, that, that's the end, that's the beginning of the end, people feel like that. We'd never feel like that. Constantly think, you've got to make it a little bit better. And in the beginning, I think we just felt, as a general rule, not everyone was comfortable with constantly being asked how are we going to make this better um, people just quite like this is good enough yeah. and at Hawksmoor that wasn't acceptable Yeah. Uh, one was support which actually I just stole from Danny Meyer sure. uh, because I really liked I think it was in setting the table he had this thing you know in, uh, in many many companies part of your job is to make your boss look good and in Danny Meyer's companies and subsequently in Hawksmoor should be like senior people's jobs to make people junior to them look good, mm. support people who are newer or more junior than you, look after them, train them, give them feedback. I don't know, give them a, someone to talk to when life's a bit difficult. Support people junior to you. Because you're very, I mean, you know, I mentioned obviously you've won, um, is it the Sunday Times? Uh, you know, best company to work for a bunch. I'd like uh, to say we've won, but we have been listed in the top 100 okay. in the country for eight years in a row. Right. So, without ever winning but, but the thing and is that was that usually it's seven thousand pounds to get in that list you, <laughs> they gave you a, discount. a special <laughs> discount rate but you when you what struck me is i appreciate you know this is what you guys do at hawksmoor but also when you talked about the first hawksmoor you said before you mentioned 
it was making enough money that it was covering the losses the other through. Mm. So the thing that you said is the people stayed who worked there. Yeah. And that was what you said before you mentioned the money. You said the staff there stayed, which I think, especially in the environment that is at the moment, you know, with finding staff, keeping staff. But that's sort of your focus, which is, you know, is super important, obviously, mm. for everybody. But I thought it was really interesting that you said yeah. that before you said about the money. And it, it's interesting the, 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 you know, this stuff, you know, these five things I told you for, and these five things, uh, they didn't really come from us saying right lads this is who we're going to be yeah it came from we've been open for three years and to be honest me and Hugh have been massively distracted for those three years we're sort of turning up and looking at 40 people who work in this one restaurant and saying this is who you are and we just need to like bottle that a little bit so it didn't I'd love to say the whole like support and everything came from us I'm sure we contributed to it in a way but really it came from the general manager at the time, Nick Strangeway, and this guy, Tim Gould, who was the assistant general manager who now runs all of Hawksmoor. Uh, it, it came from them and their way of thinking it, and they really just told us, this is how we're going to run it, and we didn't have time to say, that doesn't sound like how everybody else runs it, are you sure? Yeah. Just let them get on with it. But also you had the instinct for a hiring them in the first place and knowing they were, or at least having a, the, 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 you know, the feeling that they were going to be the right people, and also enabling them to to you know act out there are plenty probably too many or certainly too many business owners who are who just like the automatic is computer says no yeah you know, you're kind they're, you're they're kind stopped. to throw me a little bit of a bone there but I mean, if i'm honest with you thrower. i mean the, whatever hawksmoor's existed for i don't know whatever to you but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever dude you talk for long enough i think it's my turn again can i have some more wine please no, it's not that I'm one glass away from being uh, that kind of person, yeah. but I didn't mean whatever to you. I meant, no, no, no. you know, we've been we've we've been open for twelve years. <laughs> I would say that the the first three years of Hawksmoor, I can take almost zero credit for. Uh, subsequent, I feel like should get a little bit, mm-hmm. not a huge amount, because we've always had a really really good group of people. But I I in no way kind of helped set up the product or the culture or anything. I kind of feel like my role in particular has been just trying to work out how to take that integrity that someone else had put together and work out how to scale it without losing the magic in the first place. Mm. So Which the- I think we've had some success with. So we were at Hawksmoor last night. Um, it's probably it's probably one of the two or three restaurants that I go to multiple times a year. I can't I, uh, Hawksmoor Parsons, Bright. You know there aren't many that I well, I must be Bright only open this year, but there aren't many restaurants that I will f- frequent, as people say. And and I think one of the things we were debating last night was you know how is it that you've I think the uh, phrase Ian used was the little magic powder, and what is it that you that about Hawksmoor that just makes it? it I've always said to people, you you will Hawksmoor is expensive. You're not getting out of there without spending a fairly big chunk of cash, but you are not. You, you're gonna have to try really bloody hard to have a bad time at Hawksmoor, and I'd be curious to know how you know what you put that down to. That sort of you know. Box ticking, no, box ticking is not the right phrase at all. Um, I don't know how, how you know you, you seemingly nailed it. Um, that sort of sense of 
you know quality and excellence and fun and um and value in a, in a in a weird way for an expensive restaurant like you feel like you're you know it, there's a generosity and a sort of joie de vivre about it which is quite rare to find in a, a you know even a small chain which i suppose there's a million questions in there i'll shut up you just respond to whatever you feel like yeah whatever <laughs> uh, no i thank you that's really nice i i hope that's true i hope that 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 feels like one of the things that we've done, which is maintain specialness despite now having eight restaurants. Um, because I, I think that is still relatively unusual, certainly yeah. in, you know, in restaurants where, I don't know, there's 127 people work at Air Street. So it's, you know, it's a lot of... It's big. It's 11,000 square foot. It's a monster. Yeah. It's How like a cruise ship, is what I said just there, in, in the coolest way. I, I love that room a lot. Yeah, because it reminds me of not that it reminds me. I've never fucking been on a cruise ship. I watched Titanic. Um, How many covers? Where is everyone sunk and died. Yeah. That one. Yeah, yeah. that's so the thing that Hawks was like. It's kind of like that, but with a happier ending. Okay. You know? Yeah, and kind of it's warmer than that as well because you don't end up you know in the, old in the freezing Atlantic. Yeah, dying. Yep. Um, but you know, it's got the windows and it has a sort of grandiosity to it, which is great and it's fun and it it's um, yeah. I, I think. It's like James says, like it's not super cheap, but you you go and you yeah. feel quite like you're in something quite grand, but there isn't that sort of overbearingness, and it's also not kind of kitschy. It's just this sort of very, I don't know, it's sort of British in a. If there's any way to say that something feels British in a positive, non-Brexity way, it, it has that, which is nice. It feels like you should still be able to say that British is a good thing from time to yeah, time. Yeah, it's, it's tricky to say it though, isn't it? Especially in the current um, climate, I would say. But yeah, so I mean, I don't know, like the. Is Air Street that, uh, was, was that your most recent or was Knightsbridge the most recent London? Edinburgh. Oh, oh no, London was Borough. Of course, yeah. Um, the, I don't know, some of the answers to your questions, and it's funny, I was talking to Hugh the other day and just thinking about your thing of how you work out, you know, who you are and what you do relative to your business partner. I'm certain that if you asked him the question, his answers would be massively different because he is... He is super focused on detail. He loves detail and uh, small, whatever, you know, he's, he's, he, the small things and how they all build up together. And I, I really like big picture ethereal. Uh, but whichever way, there's a, there's a huge amount of intentionality at Hawksmoor. There is like a kind of confidence. Sorry, sort of details based. To be honest, in almost everything, like you think, you kind of walk in. I, and I think this about about good places. You walk in, you think this this seems this seems easy. You know, just kind of it just all sort of happening. Mm. And behind it, you're like, oh, do you have any idea how much thought and work we've put into yeah. making something look easy? Whether that's like the design of the restaurants or how the staff behave or what we wear or how people treat each other or anything, it, there isn't a lot going on in Hawksmoor where someone hasn't given that thing a huge amount of thought over a really, really long period of time. Um, so there's a lot of intentionality. I think there's a lot of confidence in knowing who we are. Like, uh, I still think we are the weirdest combination of casual and professional in the industry. I don't know if that's, if that's true, but there aren't a lot of places where you can go and drop the kind of money that you are yeah. discussing dropping 
where yeah, you just feel really, really relaxed. You come as you are. It doesn't matter to us if you, you know, my, one, if I think about two of my best friends, one's, he, he's a six foot five biker with like a massive beard. She's a kind of expert-esque four foot 11 woman with multicolored hair. The, they look perfectly comfortable in Hawksmoor. Mm. The bankers look perfectly comfortable sitting next to them and your nan down from Birmingham to yeah. see your graduation with, you know, three of your nephews biting at your ankles feel fine next to them. That's unusual that everyone just turns up and just feels comfortable. And people in Hawksmoor, I think, feel comfortable in their own skin, people who work there. Yeah. That, that takes a lot of thinking, but confidence. And we're relatively uncompromising, I think, about not doing anything at the expense of some of those kind of things that are the magic powder. Like, could we grow faster probably yeah could we i don't know could we do x y and z the answer is always probably but if it risks the magic or is too fast for us to think about how to scale it then we just don't other restaurant groups have have um, not had the most straightforward time expanding outside of london um as metropolitan elitist as that sounds how have you found it well i mean we've only done it one and a half times with one more on the way. So we've, we've, we've had a restaurant in Manchester for three years. That has, been, that has been a genuine joy. I mean, it's been successful as a restaurant, but the experience of really getting to know another city and its industry and its people and its unique character well in the way that you might know Bristol um, is... Is amazing, mm. uh, and have the fact that I think we have translated London Hawksmoor successfully enough for Manchester, and that people in Manchester think of it as their own restaurant, not right. like here's London restaurant Manchester, but that's a Manchester restaurant. Right. Um, the industry feel like that. I think customers feel like that. They really, they love it. In what sense did you have to translate it? I think there were just. I mean, there were. What, what, what are examples? Um, I, I don't know. How does anything feel local? We changed the supply chain a little bit. We changed the menu a bit. We <clears throat> adapted some of the cocktails. Uh, we, at one point, thought about making quite a few kind of local references somewhere in the. You know the. Communicate the way that the restaurant communicates. The Morrissey Burger, and pulled that right back when someone Mancunian was like, "Don't be the fucking people right. that rock up from London and start talking about the fucking hacienda right. like you ever went there. <laughs> you didn't. We know. And by the way, we don't care. Yeah. Do a good restaurant and shut up yeah. about the hacienda. We're like, oh, that sounds like good advice, actually. Did you do a cocktail called the hacienda? Or no. Something? no. Uh, but. We at some one it. point it was like yeah let's do some stuff and let's play the Stone Roses a lot yeah. uh, <laughs> and uh, by the way it's, it's amazing how many London restaurants oh, have sure, done yeah. that I mean there's an article in one of the major Manchester you know even probably the Manchester Evening News about like three years on another London restaurant doing another like we heart Manchester yeah kind of yeah. thing when you're like we haven't so ever seen you guys up here yeah. you don't heart Manchester. And at the end, they're like, the only London restaurant that's come and just done it properly and pitched it right is Hawksmoor. Yeah. 
Um, to be honest, we really just hired a lot of Mancunian people and brought them down to London and just tried to work out, like, you really understand Hawksmoor and we will try to really understand Manchester, which is just a kind of cool, casual, relaxed place. Isn't it weird that that's, like, even a thing? We, we live on a very small island and Manchester is, what, 120 miles from London, or a bit more, 200 miles from London? No. Whatever it is. It's, it's, it's not very distance, far. Distance, chat. It's, it's a distance that isn't significant, really, in the grand scheme of things. And yet, it's, it's fucking miles you away. You live in Hackney, right? Yeah. How, diff- how different would it be if you went to Chelsea? Or East Dulwich? Or Islington? Or Soho? Like, yeah, yeah. There's some pretty big, some pretty big changes. Yeah, well, we've learned yeah. that the hard way with you know, trying to open a Hackney restaurant in yeah. Mayfair. Yeah. not been a picnic um, and so we yeah. don't All right, we well, don't try and do that we try and thanks for slapping me down again <laughs> <laughs> this, this, but we talk about that a lot he's we, really successful we, we talk about that a lot we're like okay we're, we're not opening we're not opening a, a London restaurant in Manchester we're opening a Manchester a Manchester restaurant in Manchester yeah, but, so, I mean I guess but if we do it I guess my we point have, we have a restaurant in Knightsbridge and a restaurant in Shoreditch yeah those I don't know if you've been to them both, but I have been to Knightsbridge, Hawksmoor, Spitalfields, and Hawksmoor, Knightsbridge. I feel like they are both recognisably Hawksmoor, but they are different, right? Okay. Uh, and Hawksmoor, Knightsbridge is full of people who like being in Knightsbridge, and Hawksmoor, Spitalfields is full of people who like being in Spitalfields. I'm not certain that if you swap the clientele, they would enjoy the restaurants, right? But they are both Hawksmoor. If you are just a I like Hawksmoor generically. I'm happy to yeah. go to any of them. You'd be perfectly happy in either. The Knightsbridge one's the only one I've not been to in London. Oh, so, I've been around the block a bit. I once snorted so much cocaine my face melted. That's why I look like such a tool. And I've been called many things, all of them true, including legend. But look, listen, I might not be qualified for much, but I can tell you that our London vodka is great. Really great. It's clean, it's crisp, which must be why I love it so darn much. In fact, I recently took advantage of the offer currently running at Magpie Restaurant. Pop in and say the kitchen is on fire to the bartender, and they'll knock you up a smashing our London-based cocktail at 50% off. Vodka. Our London vodka. Completely and utterly unimpeachable. Just like me. And the... uh, uh, Not sure how much you can or want to talk about it. The New York adventure. Can that be discussed? Can be discussed, yeah. Um, we went out to New York in 2014. We got a phone call from uh, someone who was in charge of all the F&B at the World Trade Center. She called us and she said, we've thought about it and we think that the flagship restaurant in the World Trade Center should be Hawksmoor. It's a hell of a phone call. And it's only going to cost you, usually it costs you. I mean, funnily days. enough, <laughs> funnily enough, actually, it's not totally dissimilar to that. But, uh, you got sucked in, dude. Well, it, but, so we were like, we were like, listen, the chances of that happening have got to be close to zero. But as it happens, I will be in New York in July. This was May or something. I'll be in New York in July. I'm happy to come and see it. And the reason we were going out to New York is we went and spent two days with Danny Myers' company, Union Square Hospitality Group, and we met Danny and we met some of the guys. And so we'd had two days of like, we are meeting our heroes. Mm. It was really exciting. Uh, and then they took, walked us into the flagship restaurant in the World Trade Center, 14,000 square foot. And they were like, you know, we, we really want you to be 
the flagship restaurant in the World Trade Center. And I, I, I remember yeah. really clearly, I've had three moments in my life where, in my career at Hawksmoor, where I've stepped back and gone, shit, this is, we might have done something really, really unexpected from when we were idiots at 15 here. We've, yeah. we've done something cool. And this was one of them. And I suddenly thought, oh my, oh my God, I'm making this decision in completely the wrong way. Got to stop, to, got to stop this decision making. But still, Research I want to first I want to think about it. I see. I'd learnt, I had learned yeah. that lesson. We spent such a long time researching and thinking, and, da, 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 and spent loads of money on due diligence and whatever it was, and we decided to do it. And you will notice that we do not have a restaurant in the World Trade Center. In fact, we don't have any restaurant in New York yet. By the time yeah. we open a restaurant in September next year, it will be in a different be in a different building. So, why, how did that fall out of bed? It was so massively delayed, right? Uh, that in the end, our, our lease dropped away, and we decided. So you signed a lease. Go find something else. We've signed a lease, yeah. Um, but with a with a um, break or with a whatever. So. Yeah, with a sunset clause. Yeah. They didn't delete. They didn't deliver the site on time, or by a certain date, the lease just expired, and that date came and went. Uh, oh, frustrating. And how did you? Well, feel actually, by the end, happened? by the time that happened, we were like, okay, I think this felt like a very pre pre two thousand fifteen. You know, kind of when the world started going a bit. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a two thousand fourteen kind yeah. of decision. Things were good in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, and then we're like, oh, I think we may have dodged a bullet there. And I think actually we've come to realise, going back to who we are, I think we've realised as part of that we are not people that open in like beautiful, you know architectural skyscrapers we open in like heritage mm. buildings and that's we've got to add that to our list of if it's not that just just say no just irrespective of how nice mm. the opportunity is Hawksmoor belongs in a beautiful heritage building now and we, we found one of those near Gramercy Park which will open in September touch wood fucking hell amazing maybe <laughs> How big was it? Fourteen thousand. That was fourteen thousand. That was Jesus Christ. It's a silly. What, um, so what's what's uh, what would have been the sort of um, struggles you've had in uh, the restaurant world, well, sort of post Hawksmoor um, success? Because it can't all be a bed of roses, or is it? No, I mean we, I remember this period. It was felt almost like you know the the polar opposite of those first three years of. N- really, no. Mr. <laughs> <the> Glass. <laughs> so, we're all all laughing because the Michelin-starred restaurateur can't pour wine into a glass. Uh, I didn't drink all of November, and I've just ba- barely been sober for the last four days. Um, the yeah, I remember. You know, the first three years That's just what constant we do was awful. Just let it off the bottom of the glass. <laughs> I I know, I like back it. To <laughs> the next three years were just desperately trying to work out what we do but you know kind of felt like we were slowly working out and then we went through this period from seven dials opening in 2010 to maybe a year after air street opened which was Air Street was our fourth restaurant where i remember feeling like almost like we're bulletproof mm. like bang there's a there's a 7,000 square foot restaurant. Bang, a year later, there's an 8,000 square foot. Bang, there's another year later, there's an 11,000 square foot restaurant. And, you know, it, it was really hard work and we put so much time and thought into it. But I remember sort of feeling, actually, if you, if you've, 
we've now kind of unlocked some of the magic. And if, as long as we just really work hard and think about it, we've just discovered this thing and, that just yeah. it's it's working and. An operation, it was nailed down, so there wasn't sort of a, yeah, well, how's this one going to work? So like, well, we, we were all learning, but we felt like we were learning at the right pace. Like, you constantly stretched, but it was enjoyable, yeah. and you'd learn new things. And the key people who'd been around you for years, they were learning as well. And yeah, people were getting promoted. And I know, it just all felt, I just felt so great for three years. Yeah. And not that it didn't afterwards, but beyond that, you just start to hit moments where you think, oh, there are just occasional bits where this feels really hard again, just trying to work out how do you run eight now? How do you run eight restaurants with one on the way in a different continent? Just, I don't know, it's quite a difficult yeah. question. And I don't really have the people anymore that I'll just, I'll just call up all my friends who've got like more restaurants and more continents and work out how to do it. So you you've do. Got, you've got friends in more continents, have you? No, I don't. I mean, that's my problem. Yeah. Uh, none of my friends have any yeah. continents. That's the thing, isn't it? Or no, fact, I don't know anyone with extra continents. <laughs> so. uh, but you know, so for, there, there's been a period of just you know we've really, really got to work out what it is that we're doing, and we'll we'll regularly reach kind of inflection points where we sort of feel, okay, what's got us to here is no longer going to get us to the next place and we've got to adapt. Um, and there have definitely been times where that's felt really, really challenging. Um, and it's been it's, it, it's been really, really interesting. Mm. But and, 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 uh, what it's about, difficult. What about Foxlow, which is the sort of Hawksmoor? Um, I don't know, how do you describe it? Is it a sort of neighbourhood Hawksmoor? Or? Yeah, we, all, we opened it. And, I mean, that's a, another good example, actually, of something that has been has been much more difficult than like that period of the golden years um we always we when we opened it we just said we want to open like a really great neighborhood restaurant and i think if you'd spoken to us in sort of 2013 ish when we opened hawksmore clark foxlow clark and well um was that the first which is the first one we just said something like uh We've 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 done we've we've done worked out how to open like an eleven thousand square foot, hundred and twenty seven people, two hundred and thirty five cover restaurant at sixty five quid a head. But it, in a way, it's a bit exclusive, right? There's a price thing that is exclusive to some, and there's a meatiness which yeah. is exclusive to some, uh, and also just by the size of them, they have to be in the centre of cities. Um, and there can't be that many of them, which is exclusive to people who live further away. Could we do something that's more inclusive, more neighbourhoody? Take all the things that we care about, but kind of wrap it up at a different price point. Smaller restaurant, a bit like the first restaurant we ever had, but in best first Hawksman we ever had, and go into neighbourhoods. Mm. Um, and the, the truth is, there have been lots and lots of things that we have learned that are quite difficult about that. Some that are in my mind, looking back on it, so daft as to almost feel like the stupid first three years again. Really? Um, although, again, I've seen I've, I've seen <clears throat> a lot of restaurateurs make similar mistakes. I am good at X, therefore I will be good at Y. Yeah. Because it's all because it's in restaurants. It's restaurants, isn't it? Um, and it is not. 
So, what, what, um, so uh, as an example, very roughly, people on average spend about sixty-five quid a head gross, you know, bill yeah, price yeah. at Hawksmoor. Uh, across is that does that is that pretty much the same across all your sites? Yeah, I mean, it's Knightsbridge, is, Knightsbridge and Guildhall a bit higher. Right. Manchester and Seven Dials are a bit lower, okay. but roughly sixty-five quid a head. If we did thirty-five quid a head, imagine how many more people could come. 35 quid a head is well, super affordable to a load of people. Yeah. And what we realised was that is an absolutely absurd thing to say. 35 quid a head is not a, yeah, we could just go at that yeah. fairly regularly price for most people. I and mean, if I think about my sister, for example, she has three kids, she lives in Pinner. Okay, so thirty-five quid a head for her and her husband is the is the babysitter and the cab and the cab to get there, and a tip. She's probably spending like a hundred and twenty quid. How often is she really going to do that? Mm. It's not, it's not a regular neighbourhoody yeah. kind of price. A regular neighbourhoody price, it turns out, I think, is about twenty twenty-five quid. Right. But we were stuck in our central London high-end restaurant bubble of, or if you roughly half the price of Hawksmoor then loads of people are going to be able to pay that kind of money. And they are not. And also, I suppose it, it possibly overlooks the fact that, you know, yeah, you've got your city people and your Knightsbridge people, but Hawksmoor is a special event. So maybe this is going to sound horribly privileged in and of itself, but like £35 or £65, they're both a significant sum to yeah, spend on absolutely. a meal, whatever, whichever way you slice it. So it's like, it's a special occasion, whatever. Yeah. It's not a neighbourhood yeah. You know, Pigeon is a neighbourhood restaurant, quote-unquote, where it's 65, 70 quid a head. Yeah. There is a difference. I mean, so we talked about that quite a lot. Like, what does neighbourhood mean? Pigeon is a neighbourhood restaurant in one respect. It is in a neighbourhood. Yeah. yeah. But we wanted Foxlow to be a neighbourhood restaurant in as much as it was super accessible to the most people possible. And that is not what a £35 restaurant yeah. is. And, you know, we learnt that fast-ish. When Another we were f- opening uh, Pigeon, I remember telling Henry Dimbleby, who lives nearby, that we were opening on Wilton Way, and he said, oh, that's fantastic. You know, my wife and I were just saying, we really just need somewhere you can pop out and have a couple of plates and a glass of wine and be in and out before the babysitter's even sort of finished watching <laughs> the first TV programme. I was like, yeah, that's literally that's the opposite <laughs> of what we're doing. Totally yeah. not what we're going to do. Because unless people spend a certain amount of money, there's no way it works as a business and yada, yada, yada. And he was like, all oh, right. I think he came on the opening night, and then and I don't think he's been, been back since. since. I, th- no. I think they've been once, anyway. Um, but that, and, that, and that's an interesting thing, by the way, just as a, an aside on restaurants generally, which I think about a lot now. The the opening scene and how quickly it moves on. Totally. Yeah. So, like two thousand and ten, Seven Dials, there was an opening scene. But I would say it lasted six months. Seven Dials was a hot restaurant in London for six red months. Red hot. Still, still one now, of the best burgers in London, by the way. the idea of a restaurant being hot for six months is laughable. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you get? You might get two or three months if you are, like, the hottest. I think yeah. if you're a brat, you get three, four months. Yeah. So, yeah. and also that crowd just, it moves on really quickly. And they're just, the, the next thing, what's new and what's interesting. Mm. and uh, You build a restaurant... Not on the Henry Dimbleby's that turn up every you know now and then, and but you know Instagram. They you build a restaurant on that guy that comes in every Tuesday night, yeah, totally, yeah. who will never 
impress any of you, anyone that you know that he's in, but he yeah. pays his bill yeah. every Tuesday night. And if you don't know <coughs> his name yeah. and what he wants to drink and all of that, and what his mm. wife's name is and his kids and everything, mm. and you are more or less thanking him every time he comes in yeah. so that you are his place... Yeah, forget it. I had that, it's I, over. I had the exact thing today. Uh, we're at Pigeon for the tasting today, and we've uh, guy Jamie. He was the manager, and he left to work somewhere else, and he's just come back. Uh, so he's working at Pigeon again. And he said, uh, he said, ah, oh, Saturday night Felix was back on Saturday, and you know he's come back. He went and worked somewhere else. He's come back. He knows Saturday night Felix, who's a guy who comes to Pigeon a bunch. And, you know, a guy who's gone, left, worked somewhere else, and he knows who he is, he knows what he likes, he knows his vibe, and he's going to tell me about, oh, Saturday night, Felix was back. Mm. And I think in a restaurant, especially a restaurant like that, but I think in all restaurants, but in a restaurant like Pigeon, where you, you know, obviously the menu changes every week, but yeah. the idea that you have people who come back every Mate. week, every couple of weeks, you know, if Pigeon works, spend... it's because of Saturday night, Felix. There's no, For there's sure. no doubt about a- absolutely, it. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I named him Saturday night, Felix, yeah, and then did. only about six months later got the joke that it was because it sounded like Saturday night fever. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, oh, right, yeah, I just called him that because he comes on Saturday night. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, Forza Win, which is one of the two yeah. local restaurants I like, Bash. Uh, I know Bash very the, well. The improbably named uh, restaurateur behind it came into Hawksmoor and I knew him quite a bit uh, and you know we chatted and he came in and spent some time with us and he went I never realised that your business partner is Clam Dad it's like what? he's like oh he comes in because he lives just around the corner from me he's like he comes in with his son and his son always eats clams and so we, we call him Clam Dad he comes in that often <laughs> call him Clam Dad and I never realised that Clam Dad was the Hawksmoor guy, That's so or cool. you know, even the friend of the Hawksmoor guy that I know? It, yeah. I didn't know any of that. It's just he was to me. He was just clam dad. Clam dad. But restaurants work because you know clam dad. Yeah, for sure. Not because not because like someone who owns a nice restaurant or someone who's a journalist, you know, nips in in the first month and gives you a rave review. No, no it's all about clam dad. Uh, Will, I've got a big question for you. Um, do you know how many side dishes are on at Hawksmoor Air Street? I would say it's 12 to 15. You're wrong. It's a disaster. 17 side dishes. You have one minute to name them all. Okay. Uh, oh, good, good. Okay. Uh, well, there's both kinds of chips. Yep, chip cook chips. Yeah, um, beef dripping fries. Then yeah. there's Janssen's Temptation, just yep. going through Three. the going through the potato macaroni yep. cheese to Four. stay on the carbs. Yeah, going green, we'd have uh, cream spinach, spinach, yep. lemon, and garlic. Five, six. Uh, Caesar salad side. I imagine at that Seven. restaurant, but not at all restaurants. Yep. There's Burton. a English uh, English lettuce and herb salad. Best salad yeah. in London. Salad in London. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we, uh, Bread would be listed there, but it shouldn't be. It's not a side. But it's um, it just, there, it just happens to be where it goes on the menu. Nine, you've got 25 seconds. Oh, <laughs> no, you're putting me off. Uh, do we have the sausages on the on the menu at Air Street? <laughs> no, because I would have remembered that. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is some amazing beef and bone marrow sausages. If they're not on it, I mean, there's a, there's a massive problem at Air Ball Street. drop there at uh, Air Street. Oh, God, maple bacon. No, that's in the, that's in the uh, extras close. section. No, but there's there's oh there's Brussels sprouts and beef butter at the moment. Yeah, there is. Um, they were off last night. Uh, oh, you said you went seven dials, didn't you? No, okay, that's true. no. 
It's the time pressure that's getting me. I feel like if I had more time, I'm not I might really get timing there. it. Ten seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really timing it. Ten seconds. Um, there's a couple what, of big. Okay. There's some obvious ones. Do we have cauliflower round. cheese there? Uh, so. Nope. No. It's difficult. You don't have the same dishes. To make maple bacon. Oh, see, it's so, so seasonal. It would have come on. It came on like three days ago. Tumworth mash, Baked of course. Sweet potato. That's an error. Sweet potato is disgusting. Oh, I've missed a potato type. Um, cream sauce. Lobster mac and cheese. Roasted Lobster mac and cheese. Roasted of course. mushrooms. Yep. That's one of all of them. Blasting I should have got that one. Greens. Shaved fennel and watercress. Shaved fennel and watercress. I, is I, a good I, I'm one. genuinely that was very honest when I say that's the best. It's the best side salad in yeah, I've ever delicious. had anywhere. Like always order Which one? The, the, the English herb. The English herb and salad. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, okay, while we're doing this, because uh, also we, sorry, the boys wanted us to ask if you knew how much the lobster mac and cheese was. I mean, I'm going to say it's in the region of twenty pounds. Was it twenty four fifty? I don't recall. Yeah. Uh, well, hang on. You, you, you don't know. You don't know either. So we no, could, to be honest, we yeah. could I both be. It, and I'll just. All right. Okay, I'll cut it. Cut it in with a, with a cutting remark cut in, yeah. uh, about me getting it wrong. Yeah. Because um, we've gone very long, but genuinely, I've got to say, it's probably. Because it's got most, half a lobster know, in just, it. But I, there's half yeah. a lobster in the mac and cheese. Yeah. You know, so so they at Parsons had their always British lobsters as well. I don't know. No, none of the cheaper Canadian stuff. Coming out swinging about this lobster mash, whatever. Okay, we're going to do the quick fire. Your favourite cut of beef? Today it's ribeye. Okay. Uh, the best mustard? Oh, Coleman's English. Really? Yeah, Coleman's English. Really? I mean, I, I really like I really like Dijon mustards. I don't like grainy mustards. No. But no. Oh. Yeah, agree with and grape upon is completely out to me as as is really? as is American mustards. But I mean, it's Dijon or or Coleman's. I'm going to go with Coleman's okay. because Brexit. When uh, we first met, we had a mustard conversation. Did we? Yeah, I think Pommery. You were very posh, and you were saying mm, Pommery. See, I've completely changed now. <laughs> is that a mustard or is that a, is that a champagne? <laughs> Pomard. That's a kind of soap. Are you sure soap? you're not talking about gherkins here? I remember, I'm pretty sp- specific about. I, I don't know. I like Cornichon. Cornichon. Yeah. Uh, uh, a Dijon, by the way. Shorts. That's not a question. That is a question. Shorts. A question mark on the end of it. Shorts. shorts. In that case, I'm, it's an emphatic yes. Yeah? yeah. Fan of shorts? Love shorts. What length are you looking at? Are you more of a board short or a I would always cut? go just over the knee. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you're not going for those high sort of McEnroe But my No, sort of... no, no. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm too chunky to go either short shorts or tight shorts. Okay. But I'm also too old to chunky, go below the knee. What are you talking about, Will? Yeah. I mean, fat. I'm basically saying fat. I thought you were just I bringing up your fair. mind. I don't, no. think, I don't think that's no, fair. I think you look delightful in some 80s McEnroe numbers. So if you ever invite me back, I will wear one of those. Thank you. Uh, your favorite. My stepdad, by the way, wore shorts every single day of his life. Like really? he, Winter, 75 years old, shorts. Christmas Day, so shorts. Your, your stepdad was one of the nicest men I've ever met. He great was guy, my stepdad. Nice bloke. Uh, your favourite 80s movie? Ooh... I mean, I like I like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I don't know. Maybe young, maybe uh, what's the vampire one? Oh, um, young with the uh, is it Young Boys? Well, I can't remember that. Yeah, no, it's yeah. not, is it? Well, oh with Keith Sutherland. Yeah, well, I can't remember that. <gasps> no, young, um, Lost Boys. Uh, no, Lost, Lost Boys. Boys. But I'm confusing it with my actual Young Guns. Young Guns, young guns yeah. with a yes, Amiga Young Guns or Breakfast Club. I don't yeah. I mean, all best films were made in the eighties. But you, you said you didn't like Grey Poupon, which is obviously is a big line in. Uh, I got a feeling that that's a nineties film. No way. What Mike Mark, uh, Wayne's World? No, no, no. Um, thingy, S- excuse uh, me. Do you have any grape Ferris upon? Bueller. 
Yeah. Do you have any grape pipon? Uh, okay, from it's from Ferris, it's from Abe Roman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. we are now so obscure that yeah. both the people who are still listening <laughs> yeah, are going to sure. wonder why the fuck uh, they bothered. I'm so glad you got that. That's great. Uh, what's the best meal you've had in 2018? Seeing as we're heading towards Christmas, end of the year, all of that nonsense. Great explanation now. Well done. <laughs> mm. I'd like to make things clear. <laughs> we got a bit niche on the Abe Froman. Uh, I went to the French house uh, uh, with my friend Mitch Tonks, and oh, we yeah. took all our own wine and had a six-hour lunch. Nice. Uh, and the French house is devoid of any of the fripperies of modern restaurants. Yeah. And if you want to go in and Instagram stuff, you can't because there aren't actually any more tables for you to sit in because there's only, like, nine. And it's... Yeah, it's I, great. I went last week for my wife's birthday and it was absolutely killer. Lovely. It's and it's simple. There's nothing There's yeah. nothing flash on that menu. It's just... It looks amazing. Uh, the worst injury you've ever had? I got a man... I got a man cold sometimes. I, those are pretty serious. That's not an injury, is it? Feels like it, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it pretty serious. Yeah, I'm going to go with man flu. I kind of... I feel okay. like that's under... If one of the two people who's still listening is a woman, then I feel like she needs to know how serious it is. Okay. It's okay. really serious. Uh, your favourite ice cream flavour? Uh, I like... I'm definitely... You, have, you can either be a Ben and Jerry's or a haagen person. I'm a sure. haagen person. Are you? That's yeah. kind of niche, I'd say, these really? days. Yeah. haagen definitely. I mean, that's... Oh. Ben and Jerry's is too sweet. You should change your question to say for everyone in the future, and <laughs> okay. I, I feel like you'll get 50-50 split, but you will like the people who like haagen more. I mean, I like you a lot... But you don't, don't, you don't like ice cream. Anyway, so I'd go, I'd go pralines and cream. My wife likes the pralines kind of and cream. my wife likes the biscuity oh one, God. and yeah, we compromise just... on strawberry cheesecake. Okay, mm. but you just quoted Wayne's World a minute ago. Yeah, and it was quote... more meta than that. I quoted Wayne's World, Wait. quoting Ferris Bueller. You did pretending to be the sausage king I'm of Chicago. God from Wayne's World back at you. Mm. If you were an ice cream flavor, you would be pralines. I mean, I'd probably do. I'd pro- <laughs> so you can't pick pralines. That's not a good choice. But anyway, I'll allow it. Uh, okay. Just how it works in the restaurant, by the way. Someone so, orders something that you don't like. Yeah, Is it just like, like can I doing? just point out, one, you're fuck wrong. you, and <laughs> yeah. two, you're wrong. Yes. Um, yeah. There's different ways to get there. Sure. If you're uh, <laughs> that's great. That is a good quote. We did uh, our thing, which we do on the podcast sometimes, like if you're a tube stop, you would be... And then just were horrible to each other. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't do that. Uh, okay, overrated, underrated, or correctly rated? Mm-hmm. Fillet steak. Correctly rated. Yeah. People like it, don't they? People like it. It's delicious if you like a kind of easier. If you're into texture over fat. Right. Have you listened to the um, to the Joe Beef guys on the Joe Rogan podcast. I have listened to them on the podcast, but they are the best guys. And yeah. that restaurant, yeah, is the eating best at restaurant that restaurant is the best restaurant I've ever been to. Me too. Everyone says that. So great it is. Yeah. We went there. We went there with some people at Hawksmoor, and one guy went, "Oh, oh my god, it's my favourite restaurant I've never been to." And I'm like, "Yeah, that's it's weird that you feel that, but I totally get it." And then he went, and he's like, "It's it's now my favourite restaurant yeah. I have been to. It's amazing." Insane how it lives up to the hype. Yeah. I think I probably yapped on about it enough on here. My wife and I went, and it was just so great. Oh my god, it was that good, so good. Uh, New York, overrated, underrated, correctly rated. I mean, correctly rated. I mean, New York's it's it's underrated by the people who like LA more. 
because I don't understand those people. Okay. I, I think, again, it's one of those things. You can like L.A. or you can like New York, but you cannot like both. And it's so clear to me that New York is the better of the two that I find it a strange conversation. <laughs> uh, right. Sunday lunch. I think it might. we might have reached peak Sunday lunch. There are, I mean, there are literally other options of what you might eat Monday on a Sunday. I mean, it's great, don't get yeah. me wrong, I like it a lot. It have, doesn't have to be... I agree. I, do, do you think like, the concept of Sunday lunch is better than the meal of Sunday lunch? No. As, as I've said, I love I, your restaurants, I love my restaurants, and we do lunch on Sundays, and a Sunday roast at Magpie. But, but cliched as it sounds, Sunday lunch is a meal that I think should be eaten at home. I think Sunday lunch is a meal that should be eaten with with people that you love. Yeah, that's cool. So, like one of my favourite Sunday lunches is in like New Cross. There's a dim sum restaurant. I think it's called Hong Kong or something. We quite often go there for a Sunday lunch, like with the kids. Uh, that's a great Sunday lunch. It's lunch on a Sunday. It doesn't have to always mm. be this. And also, there's so much bad Sunday lunch out there. The yeah. number of places you can go, local pubs in Forest Hill. For example, what an underwhelming, what an underwhelming plate of undercooked food for yeah, that, that, seventeen pounds. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Hawksmore like, owner slags off well-meaning local pubs. <laughs> um, let's, I mean, let's not make that the <laughs> let's not make that the highlight yeah. of no, the podcast. No, I, I just think, like, as a thing, to be with a bunch of people, like a big group of people, and there's kids and whatever. That's what to me is like that. Ah, Sunday lunch as a thing, like drinking gonna, on a Sunday. But when it's great, as, a, as opposed to when it's oh, great, it has to be Yorkshire it's great yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, as soon as there are kids in the mix, it. Well, yeah, but kids in the mix in life is not yeah. a good thing, is it? Uh, cruise ship holidays. I don't know. Never been. I have never been on one, but I'm going to say overrated. I because mm-hmm. I can't imagine ever wanting to go on one. What do you think of Jay McDonald? What, which cruise ships does she do? <laughs> she does doesn't she present? She presents all those programs about because she sang on them. My grandpa, she? when my when my when my granny died, my grandpa just went right. He used to love travelling. He travelled in the war, and then she didn't like travelling. She didn't really want to leave Moor Park. Uh, so when she when she died, he was like, right, that's it. I'm going around the world cruise now. And he got about halfway around the world, and he's like, "I just want to fucking come home. This is rubbish." Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say overrated. Okay, uh, blue cheese, underrated. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. But All I'm, right. I'd agree with that. I'm a big fan. Uh, medieval tourist sites. <laughs> I think I might need like an example to really kind of help me here. Uh, okay, Jorvik Viking Center, mate. That is not medieval. Um, well, whatever it is, it's old school. Um, you know what I mean. Um, have you ever been what to... What period? If you just put me in a period here for what we're we calling like, medieval... You, you're going to go somewhere. There's no, no, be, I get it. But there's going to be some Watland door. <laughs> I'm just putting you on the spot here for what... Houses. Between, let's just say, to the nearest 100 years at either end, which, where are we saying medieval? <laughs> Does that make it better or worse? Like, if it's if it's specific in the middle of the medieval period, but you're like, oh, actually, it's getting a bit... What is the well, medieval period? I could period? say, for example... Don't, Don't ask me numbers. That's kind of what I'm getting at, really. Okay. If you could just tell me when okay. the medieval period... I don't was. know the numbers, but I'll, let me paint you a scene. Right. Right? There's some wattle and daub involved. Right. There's probably a fire within a dwelling, mm-hmm. uh, but not in a fireplace, more like a sort of pit as opposed to bricks. There's no bricks, 
mud straw. Mate, you're Dung. basically describing brown. I mean, I've... T- I've t- t- <laughs> Good. I mean, I've switched off now. I'm not going to lie to you, but right. I, I've got an answer. Right. If it's real, yeah. Like if this actually is a thing that okay. was built in the medieval times that right. we're going to experience, yeah. <laughs> whenever they were. Yeah. Who knows? Then I'm in. Sorry, I know you studied history. But if know, it's like, oh, lol, because I mean, you said Vikings. I'm pretty sure Vikings weren't medieval. But anyway, that is true. If that it was, was like, you oh, know, here's a lol it. medieval experience where you might get to throw axes. Yeah. I'm out. Okay. Like a leather jerkin. Somebody's wearing a leather sort of pullover thing. I mean, there's a few there's a few club nights like that, but I don't think I don't think they're medieval themed. I think the theme is is different. Okay. Do you know so, there's a th- there's a conspiracy theory that it, it's actually the year 1800 or something now because there's n- there's no record so these people say of like the year 800 to 1000 AD. So they think for some reason it was just Wiped off the. Or it never, well, it never it so rubbish. I don't know. I Probably don't know. Because it was so rubbish. Exactly. It's just too much leather. Too much. So straw, it'll be they flatter pigs. A lot of yeah. pigs. Carts. A lot of carts. Yeah. Carts. Bring out your dead. It's they, Southwark yeah, Cathedral. Are we putting Southwark Cathedral in the like medieval no, 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 tourist cathed- site? Cathedral's too grand. Okay. Maybe That's a nice I've cathedral. It's a nice cathedral, isn't it? Uh, I'm guessing it's the old. I mean, it's the oldest cathedral in London. All of it. It's, Is it? It's rebuilt. Okay. Is more it? mud. Do you know what I mean? Like mud. You want mud? Wooden wheels. That vibe. Right. A bla- like a Blackadder thing come to life. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking in my head. Is that's but Blackadder the second was rubbish. So. No, Blackadder the first would be... Me- that was medieval. Blackadder the second, that's Regency. No, that's third. That's third. Blackadder the second is... Ah, uh, Elizabethan. Elizabethan, yes. Mm. Um, um, have you been to the boot? Sorry, do you I, know, feel, I, know, I, know, I know we're getting so as the over, owners of this podcast. Do you feel like we're really on track now? Is this always. is this what yeah, the, the more silly it gets? The is this what they're? Is this what they're but, but I felt, what I felt the, the mm-hmm. vast vast majority of this podcast has probably been for me the most informative and the most interesting podcast we've ever done. That's, so, that's so why the, no one's going to like it, right? They're just, so, they just really tune in for this bit. Yeah, they we'll yeah. say oh skip Sam didn't say anything wrong about time and get called up by the guests. Can I just quickly ask, because um, it's, it's definitely germane to the medieval <laughs> ooh, vibe over the last few minutes. Have you been to the Boot and Flogger? I have not been to the Boot and Are Flogger. Are you aware of it? I am not aware of it. Oh, okay, so it's near Hawksmoor Borough. Um, and it's uh, between Union Street and is it Southwark Street, the one that goes past sort of Hicksy's place. Okay. Um, and it's the it's one of it's a Davies wine bar, but it's been there for aeons, and it's uh, very kind of creepy, fun wood panelled old school, terrible food, but fun vibe and good wine list and it's opposite it's a very creepy gate um which is covered in trinkets um and it's because uh that was where they used to bury the unbaptized uh dead children of um yeah of uh prostitutes because it was just outside the city of london so there was no law and that's where winchester we geese they were called back then uh, after the bishop of winchester correct. yeah Winchester geese. The Winchester geese. Crikey, things took a turn there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, anything yeah. else you want to know about, by the way, about medieval prostitution? That's Ask your, me. That's that's we'll do that in, a, in another, so in another podcast, in. perhaps. Uh, Tuna Mayer. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I, I really like like a tuna mayo baked potato, but like you know, just <laughs> like just shit shit tuna, Hellman's mayonnaise. I would, I would, you know, the Green Giant. 
Yeah. Uh, I like that you said shit tuna because uh, uh, everyone's like, oh, he's probably using sushi grade tuna. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's no, no, like a, like a can of John West, can yeah. of Green Giant, uh, you know, sweet corn, Hellman's, I'm in. Yeah. But really, you know, I, just because this is a slightly more foodie thing, like, you know, Vitello Tonato, which is, you know, that with the yeah. veal and the, you know, underrated, yeah. un- all of it underrated. All right. Uh, and the final overrated, underrated, or correctly rated, Phil Collins. I'm going to say underrated. I'm going to say underrated. The no Jacket Required album it yeah, was seminal. For sure. Uh, loved a lot of his Genesis work. But I am going to say. I'm quite Bateman right now, I'm just saying. I'm going to say. I'm going to say. The reason I'm going to say underrated is because of how much. One of my heroes rates him, so I'm okay. I'm a Liverpool fan. Right, Stephen Gerrard, of course, is the player of the last twenty years, and he got himself into some legal trouble. He was in court, <laughs> and basically, it was because he caused a fracas in a bar when he asked for Phil Collins to be played. Was that what the rap and was they about? said no? As far as I understand, Stephen Gerrard, despite earning like a hundred grand a week ten years ago loved Phil Collins so much that he essentially went to jail to stand up for his right to listen to... He is Nelson Mandela, (laughs) but for Phil Collins. That's That's that's, that's a a huge claim. (laughs) If we all don't love Phil Collins like Stephen Gerrard loves Phil Collins, I feel like we must be missing something. Wow. Who's your favourite Liverpool player the last 20 years? Probably one that the, they stole I mean, just from the us. one that I just, just said, listen. I guess. All right. Yeah. yeah. Probably, Did you already say that? that you stole from us? So, yeah. Who is who's well, us? M- I mean, most, most of your team is our players, isn't I, it? So, if you if this was a conversation fifteen years ago, you'd have supported Wimbledon and just been really upset about all yeah. the Norwegians that came to yeah. play for Liverpool. But now, now all of your good players are from. Do you support Southampton? I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thieving bastards. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Genuinely. So interesting and uh, probably learnt a lot that we should probably put into play. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I just feel better about that we're three and a half years into this. Yeah. And basically he was like, I didn't have a fucking clue after three years. So yeah, that I think is we've true. still got a bit of time on our side. Yeah, the time thing is, is crazy because we're like, God, we've been doing this for ages. Like when you've done three years. 10,000 10, hours, that 10,000 hours yeah. theory. I yeah. think that's, that's working at it and trying really hard to get good at it for five years. I think that's the tipping point. Five years, you're like, I've just, I think I know what it is we're supposed to do now. Well, that's good to hear. All right. Maybe we'll get there. Who, who, really who do you think is nipping in your heels? You know, in terms of, you know, hot, hot young things. There's nobody yeah. hotter or younger than you, James. <laughs> well, there's, there's, there's these guys there's these guys out east that name all their restaurants after birds yeah, yeah. and let me tell you they are going to be huge yeah in yeah. five years time yeah. uh, thank you so much thank you for your time much appreciated thanks well thank you goodbye bye bye